You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fumble! Oh my gosh, touchdown, and the Americans go up 23 to 21. Man, oh man, did they nail him, and it doesn't look like Cherubini's getting up. <laughs> Two quarterbacks in a row. I have not seen this since 88. Was it 78? When the Aztecs and the Pharaohs. Any given Sunday, Kev, anything can happen. Wow, as the Sharks go into their bye week, the story here has got to be Willie Beeman. He's running, he's throwing, he's rocking and rolling and chucking and jiving. He's flat out steaming. This magic Sunday, he's steaming Beeman. Okay, defense. This is what we got to do here. Uh, I don't know, you got to do something. You got to do something out there. You got to make it happen. I don't know what you're doing. You got to start flying around the f-ing ball. Do something. Tackle somebody. Don't let these guys chew up the goddamn clock on us. Look, when we put eight in the box, you got to jam those receivers. I don't care. You make mistakes, make them big. I don't give a f-. I'm not going to eat your lunch for that. Oh, my God. Welcome to Sports Movie Rewind, part of the Mackie and Judd movie review franchise here. And uh, you can find a full archive, basically every Friday show going back to March of 2020. We review action movies, we review rom-coms, and we review sports movies. And boys, I think we're in for a treat today. This one violated the Judd Zolgad two-hour limit on movies that we review by about an hour. It was like a two-hour and 45-minute or 47-minute movie or something. You know what? It's the modern day uh, Gone with the Wind. There should have been an intermission. Intermission. Oh, my God. You know what? I was okay with the violation because this might be this is top three, if not number one, of films that were just ripe for this format. Any given Sunday, nineteen ninety nine. Here's the summary. Four years ago, is it Tony Damata? Tony Damato. Tony, right? yeah. Uh, <laughs> outplayed by Al Pacino. His Miami Sharks. <laughs> We're at the top of the league. Now his team is struggling with three consecutive losses, sliding attendance, and aging heroes, particularly 39-year-old quarterback Jack Cap Rooney, played by Dennis Quaid. Off the field, D'Amato is struggling with a failed marriage and estranged children, and he's on a collision course with Christina Pagniacci, played by Cameron Diaz, the young president and co-owner of the Sharks organization. There's also a... Bunch of other stories within this that they couldn't fit in the summary, but we will in this review. 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says sometimes entertaining, but overall any given Sunday is a disappointment coming from Oliver Stone. $55 million budget turned into $100 million at the box office. And I will say this was probably the most star-studded cast mm-hmm. I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Here, and I might be missing some names here, but Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, James Woods, Jamie Foxx, LL Cool J, Matthew Modine. Not even the best sports movie Matthew Modine's been in. 
Vision Quest, I would say. Wasn't he, uh, wasn't he the wrestler in Vision Quest? I don't remember. I, I don't think I have. I've heard oh of it, but God. I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay, I'm actually gonna. I'm actually gonna Matthew here. Add Vi- Vision Quest is is now going to be added to. Uh, I'm doing it right now. Literally adding Vision Quest. It's a movie about like high school wrestling. Okay. So as we right. as we look for sports movies, uh, so Matthew Modine, Charlton Heston, yep. Anne Margaret, Aaron Eckert, Love more Aaron famous Eckert. later on for yep. his Batman movies. Yep. Lauren Holly from Dumb and Dumber, John C. McGinley, Elizabeth Berkley just naked this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Jesse from Save the Bell, Jim Brown, Lawrence Taylor, Dick Butkus, Johnny Unitas, Terrell Owens, <laughs> Ricky Waters was one of the running backs in this movie. Bill Bellamy. Just ridiculous. Uh, directed by Oliver Stone, who uh, was a military man way back in the day, and then d- wound up directing Platoon and Wall Street in the 80s. He wrote Scarface, I believe. He wrote Conan the Barbarian. And we'll get to some of the production notes about his style of directing. And mag- just, this like, is going to be my favorite culture. part. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, oh, my God. All right, Joe, what was your main takeaway from any given Sunday? First of all, asking me for a main takeaway is damn near impossible because I, I had about 75 of them once my head stopped spinning after watching the direction and how this film was shot. But my main takeaway, if I have to have one, is this. This is the most frenetic film we have reviewed, and that includes any action film. This is the most frenetic camera movement, action scenes, how it's shot, where you just wanted to say at some point, Oliver, stop. Just show me a normal damn shot. Um, (laughs) It was was excess. I mean, this was excess to the excess excess degree. It was. But here's also what, what made this hilariously funny to me. So it's Oliver Stone with all of these quick tight shots, game action, which, by the way, went on and on and on. And then they actually got the one guy who was probably the perfect lead character for a frenetic film, and that's Al Pacino to play Al Pacino, which, I mean, what's the difference between this Pacino as as what? Tony D'Amato, coach of the Sharks, and, and scent of a woman Al Pacino, and what's the one that he did with Keanu Reeves around this time? Was it The Devil's Advocate oh, or The man, Devil's? I don't know if I've seen. He just shouts. Oh, he, he pretty much just, well, he pretty much he just, just plays, plays Pacino. Al Pacino, Pacino in every movie. He just yes. plays Pacino. He, he, he's, now he's Al Pacino, a football and then, coach. Now and, he's Al Pacino, a drug lord. And Al then, Pacino. yes. <laughs> Say hello to my hey, everybody. football. <laughs> And then, hey, defense, what are we doing out there? But like, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's just, it, by this point in time, it had become just like, hey, it's Pacino, hey, everybody. So anyway, and then, and then in the freneticness of this film, towards the end, and we'll talk about this, but towards the end, as you think, okay, slowing down now, we're getting, we're, we're, we're getting to the end, we're getting out, it's a successful end, and he is retiring we get the end scene during the credits, which if you tuned out for that, you missed a big part of the story. So just the frenetic nature of this film left me yeah. dizzy, somewhat amused, and absolutely thinking that this probably was among the most qualified films for this format that we've ever done. Uh, I, I will say uh, we have a bunch of production notes here. There will be a production note toward the latter part of the episode about the filming itself. Okay. Like the frenetic nature of the filming and, and some of the things they did to make it look real, so to speak. So I think my biggest takeaway, there's so many, and we'll, we'll get to a million things here, but 
I think it was just the two and a half hour tribute to bone crunching old school football. Yep. Like this was still the, the late nineties. Was probably filmed in nineteen ninety eight, and um, and there were some allusions by Cameron Diaz to what she thinks makes for a more entertaining product. And people don't want to see you run the ball. They want to see passes down the field. And it's like the timing of that was right and that the, the 98 Vikings had just blew the roof off offense mm-hmm. in the NFL the year this was filmed. Mm-hmm. And then the year this came out, the greatest show on turf Rams won the Super Bowl. And then an hour into the Peyton Manning and Tom Brady era and boom, you know, passing became and they started changing rules like five years later. But but this movie was all about bone crunching, 90s football and lifestyle off the field. All these guys are just doing cocaine off strippers' chests and <laughs> Uh, you've got you got trainers that are actively like either neglecting injuries or giving players extra cortisone shots and morphine and telling the quarterback to get up after he basically broke his back on the field like um, the egregious late like there was in one of the early scenes with Willie Beeman he hands off on his first snap and like the running back has run ten yards down the field and some defensive player just clocks him from behind. No flag, like. Yep. But that was it. Like football back in the day, even in the '90s, football was brutal, and football was the brutality was glorified, right? And I remember late '90s, early 2000s. That's when ESPN started doing that jacked up segment. Yes, that the NFL finally made but, them, you know, do away with like ten years ago. But this was like two and a half hours of a jacked up segment. I was going to say on on ESPN's Monday Night Countdown. That first game when they come in to the film and they're playing a game. That first game was like nothing but assault charges. Yeah. Like every hit, I, every hit is like you'd be arrested for. It yeah. was hilarious. I, 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 was say, I think they may have jumped the shark uh, about 20 times in this movie, but uh, in particular when the guy lost an eye in that playoff game. Oh, I've game, got that in my notes. Eye on the yeah. field. And they yeah. pick it up what? in a cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, God, and then and then did we really need to see the eye like three times? No, and and it's like got. But what I loved is it popped out perfectly. So like all of the nerve attachments are with it, and they're putting yeah. it in the cooler. But it's not like part of the eye came out or you know he's all bloody. It's like the eye just perfectly popped out with all the attachments. And yeah, doesn't make any anyway, sense. Anyway, yeah, I, I feel like that guy. Went, and so that guy lost an eye, like you said, with all the nerves and everything. Like basically, just, a chunk of his brain came out through yeah. his eye socket, uh-huh. and he's been and helped off the field. They helped him off the field like like he had an ankle twist or yes. something, right? right? <laughs> yeah, this was clearly this was, was amazing. Clearly, um, how Oliver Stone perceived football and life actually. and yes and in, him, and in war films he might war. be right in war films yeah. he might be right anyway sorry Dex. Yeah. all right Declan your main take uh my, I mean there's a lot to get to it was two and a half hours um way too long I'm gonna pull the Judd Zolgad way too long of a film I mean my god there was so many moments I was like I, I was literally thinking like Judd I was like I wish they would have contacted me yeah I would love to cut out cut like 45 minutes of this film it was just yeah. absurd the, I mean, for God's sakes, the first game is like 35 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and they lose, like badly. It, it's, it's just hilarious. It's over the top. To Minnesota. To Minnesota. The Minnesota oh, Americans, yeah, by the way. The Minnesota Americans. The Minnesota. I remember that. I, I went think, to a bunch of their games. When I think American pride, I think Minnesota. That's the first team, first state that comes <laughs> to mind with, with American <laughs> macho. Yeah you, could, yeah, you couldn't have picked like one of the 13 original colonies. Seriously. Uh, states the or something Minnesota to be the Americans. Americans. Good Lord. Uh, my main takeaway, though, is uh, honestly... Get Al Pacino in an NFL booth because I, I think this can work. 
I think oh, just the, either a co- and I mean Which, a okay, coaching booth I'm with you on this. or a broadcasting no, booth. I don't care. I want him <laughs> mic'd up all the bleeping time. He he helped me through this movie because mostly I I was I was dragging on through this film, but then there'd be these great scene, the dinner scene. Um, the, just his pump up speeches, which I also have. I loved Al Pacino throughout this film, man. He's one of my favorites. The Godfather is one of my, like, obviously that's one of the best movies of all time, but like, I love me some Al Pacino. So I, I thought he was amazing and I want him in a broadcast booth immediately. Dude, I mean, who would you rather have all due respect to Booger McFarlane and Brian Greasy? But if Al Pacino wants to do a couple games, Seriously. I'm all for it. I was so tired of Pacino, though, by this point, because it's always the same guy. He he didn't. He basically decided at some point, I'm just going to start talking really loud. And it worked. Good for him. <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you, you got to watch this film with Keanu and Pacino because it's hilarious because Keanu took on too much of a role and couldn't act. Like, he, he actually had to talk, which is a bad thing for Keanu. And Pacino just rolled through the whole film yelling at the top of his lungs. It is, like, <laughs> it, it's a nightmare, but it's such a nightmare. Hey, it's what great. are we doing? Yeah. And Keanu, the problem is Keanu's great. John Wick's great because it has certain lines, right? But put Keanu in a film where he actually has to have a ton of dialogue and, like, act, and he's looking at cue cards. Where El, El where are you going? What are we El doing Pacino here? Also, I feel I feel like he's always kind of chewing gum, but I can't tell. Yeah, I, I, that's I know. Well, exactly and Scarf and and the old Pacino stuff was great, but at some point in time, I think he's just like, I'm old now. I can make a million by just screaming. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what was your favorite part of any given Sunday, Judd? Oh, there's a lot of parts here. I, I'm very torn here because I will say this. So Dex pulled the Judd and said, too long, and, and you could have cut game action oh left and right. God. Like, it would have been easy. Um, but here's the thing. For the amount of runtime, I actually didn't feel like, I thought, oh, my God, settle in. It's going to take forever. And I think because it was shot so so frenetically, the film actually moved to me way more quickly than I'm used to films going. But anyway, my favorite part has to be when... When Christina, the owner, is talking to James Woods, who, by the way, is a oh. badass in and outside of life. Well, well, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but I do love me some James Woods. Okay, but him as the team doctor was yes, perfect. it was. And they're talking about Lawrence Taylor's character, who who, and who plays a key role here, too. Mm-hmm. Like, like, that was not a small part. And she's basically saying, you're going to pass him through to play him. Because I am convinced... If those discussions don't take place now, they did for a long time. Like, wherever they got that scene from, because it seems like barbaric and and not possible, it's very possible. And so I thought the whole thing of, well, he could die, I don't care, and we'll wave him after the season, that's all way too close to home. So I actually liked that because it reflected something where at first you're like, oh, no way. And then I'm like, no, actually, they did do this. I mean, in general, she's. People think Jerry Jones is a meddling owner. I mean, Cameron Diaz in this movie is as meddling as you yeah, can get. Dude. Right? She's oh, she's yeah. in the ear of the team doctors and trying to persuade them to green light, red light certain players. <laughs> she's on the phone with the offensive coordinator, who she's set up to be the future coach during the games. I've like got, she's calling him during the games. I've got thoughts on this as, as well, but keep going because I I think there's a storyline here that that we should embrace. She also well, and feel free. I'll, I'll get. I got one more, and then go ahead and give your thoughts on it. But like halftime of a playoff game, can you imagine Ziggy Wilf coming down at halftime of a playoff game 
and just like lighting into the coach and the <laughs> like it's just like she walks in there just all right here's the, here's who the quarterback's going to be in the second half what are we doing here oh i was uh i was annoyed by it so here's my overall thought about what we as i watch this film i'm like this this is familiar where do i know this from al pacino's character right Long-time football coach, growing older, long in the tooth, Oh God! once successful, what does he love to do offensively? Run the ball. Run that football, right? Hot young coordinator, wants to pass the ball more, wants to do different things. Let's say that coordinator's name was John Filippo. okay? <laughs> the coach has a volatile personality. He doesn't really trust youth. He doesn't really trust young players unless he does, and then he loves them. Um, Beeman? Bridgewater? Yeah, I think it's pretty close. Mm. No, it's not. No, no it's not. No, no, because no, it's not even black. close. Like, <laughs> no, no, as far as the development, though, of the relationship between coach and player, because at the end, he loves him. But, but Zim. Zim loved Teddy from the moment he I know, got him. But, That's, but I what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is, loosely. Are you saying that? Are you saying loosely, that Teddy Bridgewater goes to cocaine parties on Wednesday night before playoff games? I'm very confused. How you're insinuating? I will warn you right now. Don't ever assume something about athletes. We don't know them. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is the Zimmer parallels to the Pacino coach to me uh-huh. to Tony D'Amato are loosely very similar as far as what he believes and how he goes about his business. Now, Pacino is over the top to the nth degree because it's a movie. But think about what their fundamental philosophies are. They're very similar. Yeah, I do I do feel you with the Mike Zimmer and Tony D'Amato comparison of, listen, football is going this direction, and you still want to do this. And, they point, and you have this view of what football has always been. And as you said, Phil, the they point days. that out. They point that out like people are trying to be like, Tony, 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 or Mike, Mike, Mike. Here's where the game is going. And the Beeman thing that I see is not from, as Dex said, because Teddy was loved by Mike from the start. But by the end, their relationship is so tight that they actually go as a package deal to that very tough Albuquerque team. So I'm just saying I can see I, I saw some real parallels here between where the coach's mind was in this film and where the coach's mind is in Egan. Um, we we will eventually get to the logistics of how he just sort of left his team and then yeah, took oh yeah we we'll have to get to that but yeah uh, Dex your favorite part about this movie uh, I I mean Jamie Fox is one of my also one of my favorite actors Jamie Fox is damn good yeah. I mean sing he can sing he can act big fan of him also as a uh, big time puker myself I can empathize with uh, his character here who. Pukes every time he comes to the huddle. Now I don't puke out of nervousness. That's a I, I I don't puke out of nervousness. But as someone who has a weaker stomach, I can empathize with that. Um, it was kind of funny. Phil was talking about how Cameron Diaz was talking about you got to run the ball or you got to pass the ball more. You got to be more of a modern offense. The dinner scene between the two, and I have two of the clips here, but but mostly at the end when Willie Beam is basically pointing out just the disparity and the like horrible nature in the NFL compared to white and black people. And how the athletes are treated, like that is also something that is still prevalent today. You ain't said two words to me. To Cherubini went down. Didn't Wrong one. You ain't said two words to me. Got it. To Cherubini went down. Then it was go out there and 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 play like you're in the hood and, and you're throwing the ball and your mama's ringing the dinner bell. All you do is talk at me, man. 
So I'm gonna stay who I am, steaming Willie Beam. And with the time I got left, I'm gonna play my way, get my dollars up. So when you go to wave me, trade me, injure, reserve me, or whatever the f- I'll do, I'll be worth ten times what I was worth before I got here. It's pretty, pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful stuff. I, I love that scene, though. That whole dinner scene in general, too. Them back and forth. It's a good like seven minutes. See, that's the one actually I would not have cut out of. Like that's like I think the most prominent scene in the entire film. There's also he he also with uh, John C. McGinley, the the media guy who's he's a sports writer. Yeah. He's a he's like he's uh, like Stephen A. Smith. The, he's like, yeah, he's he's hot take artist guy. Yeah. And and Willie Beeman was talking about you know this league is seventy percent black players. How many black coaches are there? How many black owners are there? And so they they're shining a light on things that mm-hmm. are still very prevalent twenty years later. So I think my favorite part of this movie is just everything Willie Beeman. Yeah. The outrageousness of it all, the um his his rise to fame happened at such an unrealistic pace because yes. they made it very clear. We're like basically into December on the schedule here, right? Like we're we're late in the season here because they were seven and six after they lost that game and they had three more regular season games left. And so over the course of these three games, basically, at the end of the year, and there was a weird bye week in week, like the second to last week of the season was a bye week for them, yeah. which we'll get more to. But um, so he's a he's an anonymous third string backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. And in the last three weeks, he rises to fame, records a rap music video, signs multiple endorsement deals and films the ads for those endorsements presumably during the game weeks. Yep. He was featured on the cover of ESPN, the magazine, and multiple other publications as well. How does he have time to do all of this? Like, wouldn't all of this happen in the off offseason? Uh, also, I think the sports writer that we talk about here, John C. McGinley, might have gone a little overboard in his assessment of a third-string quarterback after two games. If you guys remember, they showed on camera his like two or three graphs of his. I paused it. This is so and I, true at all. <laughs> and I transcribed it. This is what he wrote. Willie Beeman is a gifted athlete who may just redefine the quarterback position. Beeman is a lethal combination of mobility and escapability, a decisive passer who can deliver from the pocket, and a young man with the arrogance to lead and the hipness to give a damn, a warrior poet, a new breed of athlete. And there was like seven or eight misspelled words in those if you pause it and look. Awesome. It's like some intern wrote that and said we need we need like some sports writing copy <laughs> to put on camera here. Um uh, but then like the other thing I don't really get about the whole Willie Beeman deal is because he, he was talking to I think he was talking to Al Pacino in that scene he said Yeah, it was in the scene Declan reference that he lost out on a $1 million signing bonus and like a $10, $10 million worth of, of multi-year contract yep. falling from round one to round six in the draft because he took a $300 suit from a booster. And it was, and then he was painted as like not following the rules and mm-hmm. whatnot. So do you guys really think a quarterback who's that talented, like a first-round great quarterback, no. even 20 years ago, would fall six rounds for some sort of like no. taking a $300 suit from a booster? Why did he fall to the sixth round? doesn't yeah. make sense. Well, and they easily could have made up for that by saying he got caught using drugs. Like there were a lot of things that they could have explained that fall. Yeah, he, got, he got put in jail or a something. Booster, yeah. A booster would not be it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, all right, I think we're on least favorite thing here, Judd Zolgad. So here's my least favorite part about this. 
to what Declan said, and he's right. You know, that dinner scene was really good. Like, it was really believable. Um, telling the doctors to pass guys through was really believable. Uh, the Pacino scene, when he talks about, I'm going to trade Beeman because he's tearing our team apart, was really good because it's like that can happen. So how in the hell did we have so many scenes that made no sense, uh, you know, to Phil's point there? That made, you wouldn't fall, anyone who knows football, if you took them that script, would say no quarterback. Well, hell, no star player would fall five rounds because of a booster. I mean, who cares at that point? The college will care, but the, the team, the pro team won't. And yeah, Reggie. People knew Reggie Bush was taking money. Yeah, you know he still went like second overall. And did you care? So. I sure as hell didn't. So that gets me to my least favorite part was with Cameron Diaz's character, who, by the way, I sort of liked. Like, I liked the fact that she was a complete pain in the ass and would. It, it's not completely believable, but it's an empowering thing. Instead of taking a guy and doing it, the fact that they took a woman and did that was sort of cool because, you know, I mean, it's empowering enough. But then after all of that, okay, so like she goes down. I mean, she's clearly, you know, her dad's dead. It, it's an impacted her life. Uh, she's running this team. It's her team, damn it, her way or the highway. And then as the film goes on, she becomes weaker and weaker. And to get to my least favorite part. They're playing in the playoff game in Dallas, which, by the way, looks like it was shot in the old Texas stadium. And this woman who was going to the locker room the last time we checked is now in the owner's box. She has she's basically chastised by the commissioner, which, again, is fine. That's cool. And by the halftime of the game or later, she is now sort of crying on her mom's shoulder about her life, paying no attention to the game. Like they're showing like the dialogue she's doing and the game are going on simultaneously. And this balls to the wall owner that they have built up is now like crying on Ann Margaret's shoulder about what what she's going to do and her life and paying no attention to her team. Like, how does that make sense? Like you, you That's went funny. to all yeah, this no, work to try to make this film in some ways, re- in some ways realistic. The game action wasn't, but in some ways, and then you're going to have this powerful female character sort of just crumble and collapse. Mm. Why? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they were just going for like they wanted to break down her walls by the end of the movie and <laughs> but show. They, couldn't that- they have done that not during a game, like in her just. Checking out on the team, <laughs> maybe. Anyway, uh, Dex, what was your least favorite part? Uh, Judd and I are nearly in lockstep here. I, I, I don't like Cameron Diaz and all throughout this movie. Now, Judd said he does kind of like her because she's a pain in the ass, at least in the beginning. No, like the character. But um, in general, I, I could not stand her. Um, I know it probably happens more than I think, so I, I shouldn't be that naive. But just like the conversations with James Woods of like, well, this person he needs to be in, like, put him on the bench more, make something up, or this guy, no, 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 like, speed up this thing. It was just. It, I don't believe that happens as much as it does. It might happen with coaches. I don't believe the ownership is going to the trainers of teams saying, hold out this person or keep this person more injured. I don't buy that for a second. Even with Jerry Jones being absolutely insane, he might be like one of the outliers here. Ziggy Wilf is not going to Eric Sugarman and saying, make sure that you know so-and-so's knee uh, stays buckled for a couple more weeks because we don't want to see him anymore. Now, if it's Dakota Dozier, I could, pay, I could maybe see that. However, I, I just – her – entire character throughout the film I couldn't stand. It was my least favorite part was Cameron Diaz. 
I actually I, I kind of liked her character. I kind I kind of liked. I first of all, she was. We just did a Cameron Diaz movie last week. Like mm-hmm. she's n- n- nice run for her. She's meant to be unlikable. Like mm-hmm. I, th- I thought she played the character that she was supposed to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my least favorite part was the league itself and everything <laughs> in and around the league, uh, the Associated Football Franchises of America, <laughs> the AFFA. Is this this is the NFL? This is the parallel universe right. NFL. Okay, so you guys already mentioned it. So we have the Minnesota Americans. Representing our Minnesota Vikings. Yes. The Minnesota Americans? Yes. What? I know. Like, wouldn't it be the Washington Americans or the New York Americans or something? Like, the Minnesota Americans? It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make, make any sense. sense. The uniforms were all just garbage in this movie, too. Yes. Uh, oh, Dal- the, the da- Dallas's. Those Dallas ones the were. What was, that dude. was a soccer uniform. Yeah, dude. Well, also, so the Dallas Knights don't have numbers on the front of their jerseys. <laughs> well, that you can't have that. Like the offense is trying to figure out what number each guy is, so that you know who the who to block, or if you're the quarterback. Like the quarterback w- walks up to the line of scrimmage and surveys. Okay, uh, that's the Mike linebacker. Okay, th- those are the cornerbacks based on their number, <laughs> right? So that was weird. Also, we had uh, a mention at the very beginning. I think it was during the first game. One of the announcers said. Attendance has fallen while the crosstown dolphins have prospered. So the um, the Associated Football Franchises of America have two teams in Miami, apparently. The Sharks and the Dolphins. That's weird. I took that to uh, I took that to mean that they were referring to the National Football League Dolphins and saying that this league was a rival like the USFL was. That's how I took it. Okay. So like okay. they're like the Dolphins are doing great and our, I'm not surprisingly but they've built this league up to be like – so this league is supposed to be as big as the NFL, right? Because it's all over national news and these guys are – like a quarterback rises to prominence and within one week he's on ESPN the magazine. Like this is an NFL <laughs> – Hey, he won two games, league. Phil, okay. <laughs> and then also you had uh, the Miami Sharks schedule, which they showed very briefly on camera as Al Pacino was like updating the record with his pen, changing it to seven and six. The bye week is in the second to last week of the season, which makes no sense. And the Minnesota Americans were on the schedule twice. So Miami and Minnesota are apparently in the same division <laughs> in the Associated Football Franchises of America. Yes. Unpack that for me. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, and what I don't understand, though, is why did they work so hard to make some things realistic and then they let really what could be considered small things, just go. Like, doing the schedule right wouldn't have been hard. There was also, I can't remember, they had famous football player cameos for most of the opposing head coaches. Yes. And there was one, I can't remember who he was in real life, but, you know, this is pretty modern football here. This is the late 90s, like, guys are wearing headsets in real life. Mm -hmm. You know, coaches have the headsets. And there was a coach, top hat, Suit, yes, no headset, yes, walking up and down. It was like, like, the, uh, I who's the, the guy thing. the long uh, Schnellenberger, who's the, the long yep. time? Well, like Papa George Hallis, baby, but yeah, yes, exactly. it was hilarious. And Al Pacino rocking the suit on the sidelines, too. Yep, old school mm-hmm. suit jacket, the red collared shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, uh, I think we're least believable here. Least okay, believable part of this movie. Well, first of all, 
we discussed this, but I do have the eye popping out in full, like the whole yeah. eye coming out with with <laughs> no. the nerves a- attached. I mean, because, you know, good for it. I mean, football's so rough that eyes always pop out. Hate that. Uh, but since we talked about that one, I want to get to this one. Also the playoff game against the Dallas team. Lawrence Taylor's character, who had basically been warned, you could die. I'll sign the waiver, but you could die. I'll sign the waiver. waiver. He, of course, because you knew this was coming, is injured. Looks like critically at first. He he looks like he might be dead. I I mean, uh, Tony comes out on the field and looks up to the heavens as the clouds are moving, as if Lawrence is 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 ascending through the stadium roof because he's dead. Right. Here's the best part. So in the course of this scene, if you go back and watch it, if you go back and watch it, a man who is clearly, you think, paralyzed. He's basically dead. You think he's dead? They are. But before that, they are measuring for the first down. They take the the chains and move them around his lifeless body to see, did did we stop him, coach? You bet we did. I mean, like, I, I was watching the show, I'm like, okay, so this dude, I literally wrote the same thing out. This dude is basically dead on the field. And the officials come out, they measure for the first down. No one's, like, attending to him or anything. No. So there's, presumably there's been, like, at least 60 seconds have passed, and they've yes. measured, it's a first down. No, he's just laying there dead. Oh, my God. Oh, can you just slide his leg over a yeah. little bit? We need to make sure that and then, <laughs> and then, And then the last thing, and perhaps God. the best part, is they they roll him so he can see evidence of the fact of where the chain gang is, of where the marking yep. is. Like, this guy probably has a broken neck for sure, and he might be paralyzed. And the rule of thumb last time I checked was you don't move those – you basically stabilize him and get him on a stretcher. They literally roll him onto his side so he can see the chain gang. Coach, uh, did I stop him? Did I stop him, Coach? I congrats your million dollar bonus. I mean, you think you're paralyzed for the rest of your life, but here, here's your here's the one little bonus more for you. <laughs> oh God, uh, Lawrence Taylor, by the way, was like not just like a cameo. No, you know, there's no, a bunch of cameos. He was like a star of this movie, and he yep. was great. I was going to say he was good. He was good. He was. Excellent. This was so he also uh, main evented a WrestleMania like three years before this mm-hmm. in the mid nineties. So he was he was on he's still alive in his sixties, still rocking. It's a it. miracle. I don't know what what he's doing day to day. He's laying low. <laughs> so uh, my least believable. There's literally like five things here. Maybe we can all just get to multiple. But let's go through the end of the game sequence here. Okay. Yep. 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 In mind. So you've got the Willie Beeman throws the deep pass, and it looks like. The game winner, and it gets called back because of holding. It happens. I actually kind of like that. I kind of like the mm-hmm. false ending there of mm-hmm. deep pass because that stuff happens in real football games. And so to to bring that back, but the offensive lineman gets so pissed about the call, he shoves the official, yeah, and gets flagged again. So this is a, a crucial moment. I can see guys like being mad. Is a guy? I get that I'm complaining about. An offensive lineman maybe being portrayed unrealistically as getting too worked up five minutes after a guy lost an eye in the same game. So I understand, like, the, the reality bar here is uh, different. So offensive lineman shoves an official. But then we get – this is where you really need a sports movie consultant of some kind. Like, you just need someone to come in here and say, the clock management 
from 30 seconds. So they run a play with 30 seconds. It's a completed pass, inbounds, clock keeps moving. Or maybe it was, um, no, it was a completed pass uh, with 30 seconds to go. And they're running up, and they show the clock 14, 13, or like 15, 14, 13, somewhere in there. So I think the play ended with like 20 seconds, and they see him rushing up to the line of scrimmage, and they show the clock. Yep. And Willie Beeman calls a timeout at the line of scrimmage with nine seconds left because he doesn't like what he sees. That's just terrible coaching and clock yeah, management horrible. and awareness. You you wasted probably ten to twelve seconds there after that uh, that ball carrier was tackled. Did I not tell you? It's the Mike Zimmer story. Yeah, it's true. They let too much he's time not, run off the clock. It's the Zim story. And then, and they they did acknowledge how crazy this was because there was an argument briefly between the coordinator and Al Pacino. But so they have no timeouts left. They're at the forty yard line. They need forty yards to go because they're down by four for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So if basically if you complete a pass or get sacked or something, the game is over because you can't stop the clock. You have to get out of bounds. And they call an option, an option run out to the right, pitches it to LL Cool J, and they wind up getting like thirty seven yards down to the three yard line. Now there's three seconds left, time for one more play. Very, very, very ballsy for them on the next play from the three-yard line, mind you, to run a play-action bootleg, I believe. So they're running a play-action where uh, LL Cool J fakes like he has the ball and dives up over the pile like he's at the one, but he's at the three. Like you're not going to dive from the three to the end zone. So another thing where it's like you need a sports movie consultant. You're You're not running like everyone bunched in up the middle from the three-yard line, uh, but they made it happen. And then maybe the most accurate tie to the Minnesota Vikings, whether it's 2017 or 2019, they get smoked in a playoff game after the euphoric high win by the San Francisco whoever's 32-13. to I don't know if you guys caught that anecdote, but they – like they're riding this high, they beat Dallas, and they go on to play San Francisco, and they get drubbed by three touchdowns. That was the most Vikings comparison of anything in this movie, yeah. For me, so yeah, the whole end of the game scenario yeah. was just like, all right, let's let's get a sports movie consultant in here, help you guys out. Yeah, that's similar to mine. My least believable, just like the end, of the last game. Um, also, how Dennis Quaid plays, he takes an absolute licking. He's going to be the starter going in, and then at halftime, they just did his bail on him. They're just like, yeah, we are, we're we're going to bail on you. We are going to put in Jamie Foxx, and we're going to make this uh, literally like a, yeah. like a dramatic sport. Like, what? Like, I think I, why why wouldn't it have been that he just got like shouldn't because he got smoked at the goal line? Yeah, when I he think ran that's why, why. Shouldn't he just have been injured? And I thought that's what they were that alluding to, though the the fact that he he was in no shape to continue because he ran that option and got crushed. I thought that's what they were trying to say. I might be wrong though. It, it was not explained well. I mean, so. But he, how'd you guys feel about his wife lacing into him for wanting to? And Lauren Holly and abusing him. Lauren Holly at the time, very famous as well. Yeah, I don't know if I would uh, appreciate that if no. my wife wasn't supportive. Well, of but I mean, you know what? She was in it for football. Million. She, she know what I'm doing broadcasting. She wanted to play football. She was a football <laughs> well, wife. He's also, like he's like 40 years old. Like, dude, like he's been yeah. playing football for like 20 years. By probably. the way, he, congratulations, he congratulations, because that film identified. Philip Bleeping Rivers before the National Football League did. I thought that character was was Phil's guy. He was Rivers. Cap, 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 Cap Rooney was yeah, Philip Rivers? He was Philip Rivers. And what what do you mean? Did they have ten kids? Did I miss it? No, he was just super old. He couldn't give up. He was pretty much done, but he was still well liked by his teammates. Like the parallels. <laughs> the parallels were there. 
Did he have the side slinging sort of weird throwing motion? He sort of looked. Can't remember. He, he sort of looked like he him. Was a, he was he sort of looked like him with the oh shucks. I like was, to play I think football. he was more. more I know Mark what to, Brunel. He he looks a little like Mark Brunel. He's got the yeah. lefty like Mark Brunel. He had the I know what it takes to be a good teammate quarterback that his teammates loved. Yeah. In fact, I I would say actually because he's a lefty, I would say he's more Brunel. I would say Willie Beeman um, looked like Willie Beeman was a more accurate thrower than Michael Vick, but they tried to portray him as like this sort of you know revolutionary mobile quarterback. Which Vick that was when Vick came in the league. I don't know. So he's like a, he's like Michael Vick with a better arm or something. So and he's more he's or ah, yeah, I'm trying to think of. Oh, yeah, probably Michael Vick with a better arm. The other least believable thing, football-wise, about Steeman Willie Beeman was this one. So they did a good job at first. He changes a play in the huddle early on, and it scores. And the Pacino character is like, what the hell was that? We call plays for a reason. Totally get that scene. Um, You know, probably wouldn't happen, but plausible it could. But then as the film goes on, we basically need LL Cool J's running back character to tell the coordinator and coach he's changing plays in the huddle all the time. And at first they're they're like, well, no, he's getting to the line of scrimmage and calling an audible, right? And they're like, no. And Cool J's character is mad because he's not scoring touchdowns that he's supposed to be scoring because the play call is designed for him and steam and is changing it. You think the coaching staff wouldn't know exactly where those calls were being changed? Like they're yes, just like, oh my god, that what? What he's changing them in the huddle? Like you can tell the difference between an audible, a check, and a guy that just changes the entire play in the huddle. Yeah. No, yeah, it's uh, and then I love too just the the cojones on a third string quarterback who's been humbled and fell to the sixth round. He's like first game, he's like, nah, these plays are garbage. I'm calling my own plays. All right, sounds good. Um, uh, on the end of the movie, so Tony D'Amato, he's, he's this press conference, he announces that uh, he has – so the press conference was to sort of honor him, right? He's yeah, stepping he down. A, he's basically yeah, being he's forced down. down. Yeah. Yep. And uh, then at that press conference, he announces, well, actually, I have taken the GM and coach job of the expansion team in New Mexico, and I have signed Willie Beeman to a multi-year lucrative contract. How would any of this be possible on the Willie Beeman front? Wouldn't, wouldn't. Yeah. Like free the, agency the other, opened up and no, no one knew that he was a free agent. The other thing too is this film was really long. So if you oh. went to see it, you sat there forever. So and pissed. Oliver Stone trolls your ass at the end by starting to show the credits. At which time, I'm sure a bunch of people got, got up and they're like, "Thank God, I'm done," and they're walking out. And he throws in. This sort of, and now he's going to go coach, coach Albuquerque and take the star quarterback with him. What are you doing, Oliver Stone? It set up a sequel. It really did. They did set up a sequel with that because it, it would have just been a standalone. I mean, it was a standalone movie, but like opening up the door for, hey, Willie Beeman's going to uh, this New Mexico franchise. There could have been a could have been a sequel there. Do you guys want? There's a long list of production notes here. Yeah. Okay. Certainly the highlights. All right. The F word is used in this movie well over a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. According to I think complex.com. Uh Cap Rooney's house, so the the veteran uh, Mark Brunel type Philip Rivers quarterback. Oh yeah. This was actually Dan Marino's house in real life. They filmed mm-hmm. at Dan Marino's house. No kidding. Yeah, I saw that too yeah. on the Prime. Mm-hmm. 
Sean Puff Daddy Combs was actually Oliver Stone's original choice for the part of Willie Beeman. Combs arrived at training camp. They had like a legitimate training camp for this movie and even took reps under center, but he was soon dismissed. Quote, Puffy couldn't throw a football property uh, properly. I read this and he, ca- he came on set with a big entourage. <laughs> Al Pacino was there, the ultimate pro, and he was offended. So was Oliver. Oliver views the movie set like a battlefield, and he is the general. No one can compete with his authority on that battlefield. So they said goodbye to Puff Daddy. That's probably a good Dad move, though. Uh, Behind the scenes, the movie was as chaotic as the action on the field. There were delays, script problems, casting issues, endless partying, and even a fist fight between LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx at one point. It was that that shower scene where they got into a fight. So LL Cool J, to just sort of ramp it up, actually punched Jamie Foxx in that scene. And the cameras wound up cutting away. So it's kind of a weird, like, chopped up part. But Oliver Stone was pissed that the cameras didn't just keep rolling. Like, this is a real fight. Let's film So they really got in a fight. Yeah. So in in every capacity, filming was completely out of hand behind the scenes. That's awesome. On the filming, (laughs) football can't be faked. The players or stunt doubles were actually hitting and tackling and uh, blocking. Mm -hmm. Stone put cameras where they had never been before. He put a doggy cam on the player's shoulders. Mm. Steady cam operators were sometimes trampled. If someone hit the camera, it just added to the craziness. The football action in any given Sunday is violent and fast and has bloody consequences. For the most part, it's saving Private Ryan on a football. (laughs) Right. But the problem, it, it, it was so over the top at times. Like, I don't know much, thankfully, about war, but I'm willing to bet that war is pretty accurately depicted. Lots of times is brutal. Like, there would have been a few scenes, but to back to that first game that Dex talked about, like, they're literally killing each other. Yeah. Like, you, would, you wouldn't have a team left after that game. No. The Minnesota team would just have to disband. The Minnesota Americans. The Minnesota Americans oh, would be God. no more. They couldn't fly back. There were too many players would be dead. Any final thoughts before we get into yeah, the, the broadcast team? We haven't talked about, about the broadcast team. Barry Switzer no, Barry on play Switzer. by play, and Oliver Stone was the analyst. So oh, he cast himself in the film. I love that. It's amazing. He, he cast himself. I, I, my guess is Oliver Stone, big, big football fan, and this is how he perceives the sport. Yeah. Just this break your neck. And I mean, the one thing that I give them credit for, though, is. The Lawrence Taylor casting, surprisingly good. Like, I would have thought that would have been a disaster. Jim Brown also. Jim Brown yeah, was Jim in Brown Dirty was Dozen back but in Jim, the 70s. Jim Brown like, could act. Like, Lawrence Taylor, mm-hmm. I would have had no clue going into that film that he could hold that big of a role and actually do it pretty well. Johnny Unitas, who was the coach of one of the teams, yep. he died like three years after this movie came out. He died in 2002. Yep. And Dick Buckus was an actor on all kinds of shows yes. throughout the 90s and 2000s. So, uh, all right, the first ranking here is the believability of the sports action on a 1 through 10 scale. So we've done four sports movies to this point. Little Big League, 8.7 believability. Mm-hmm. Major League, 6.2. Mighty Ducks, 2.7. And Draft Day, 2.7. So how would you grade this movie, 1 through 10, Judd, based on the believability of the sports action? Okay, this is the toughest one we've done here because... Ordinarily, it's either just really pretty good or horse bleep. Yes. 
Um, the believability is high. A lot of times, here's my question. So I've, I've got a question for the court here. How much do we want to hold it against them, if at all, that the act, my actual problem is the fact that they went way too far too many times? Because the believability itself is there. Like, do, do we hold it? Yeah. Should this ranking hold it against them that some of those scenes look like massacres? And I mean, I think, th- thank I, God I don't, eyeballs don't pop out during the course of a game. Yeah. So I, honestly, me. I think we take the eyeball part out. Like, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll get, why don't I give you my ranking first? Because I, I give it an eight. Like, yeah, an eyeball popped out. And yeah, there were some like clock management things. But for the most part, and that, and then the the rain game was a little more rain than you'd ever <laughs> yeah. see. And, well, and the game. hit and the hits on quarterbacks, e- even in the '90s, weren't that aggressive. In the '70s, they might have been. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a re- it was real football with the volume turned. And up. they worked hard. It, it almost felt like that. What was that blitz NFL blitz game yeah, for NFL like? Blitz. Yeah. Yep. Where everyone's all roided all out. Right. Like yes. that. That's what this okay. movie was. So it, it's like an eight for me. I'm going to give it a seven point five. Yeah, I'm giving it a seven. I'm giving it okay. a seven. There's so many over the top. And you also like the shots of Beeman in the pocket, like evading and avoiding. And then even there was some some throws where it looks like he was throwing a bomb when in reality that ball went 10 yards. And he holds the ball way yes. too long. Like the, like <laughs> there was some, like they, they'd do it in super slow motion. Like he's loading up to throw like a 40 yard yes. dart down the field and that ball went 15. You're yards. right. You're right about that, too. So I, I would say it's yeah. a seven. All right. All right. So that means it's a seven point five. This it's the of the five movies we reviewed, this it's the second most believable sports movie. Okay, um the next one is just how entertaining was this sports movie? So just pure entertainment value, one through ten. Major League is a nine, little big league is a seven point three, Mighty Ducks is a seven, and draft day is a six. Okay, it was too long, but it didn't feel as long as the runtime was. I'm going to, again, stick with my previous ranking for believability of action, 7.5. Because it, it moved. It was my, my, my biggest complaint was how it was shot. But, I mean, that's a me problem because I just about threw up three times. Um, but you know what? If that's my biggest complaint, I, I'd far rather be offended by how it's shot than it feels like it's four hours, which it didn't. To me, so I'm going to give it a 7.5, Phil. Dex? To me, it's a 6. Uh, it's it's so long. It is like, I, I, and I, there's movies I know where I'm getting, like, if I'm watching a Tarantino film, for example, I know I am buckled in for two and a half I hours. I like how we've reversed roles here, Declan. Yeah, I, I know that what I'm getting into is a two and a half hour flick. Sure. And if there's going to be murder, and if there's going to be over the top, and there's going to be backlog, like, I, I get how we have to get there. This is just two and a half hours of football life, and it's not that great of a movie, in my opinion. So I wasn't that entertained. So for me, it's a six. It's a six out of ten. I don't think I'd watch this again. All right. It's it's definitely like not a movie that I would just like put on for no. two and a half hours. I wish it was shorter, but uh, just based on the twenty different recognizable actors and actresses, and just the up tempo nature, it's just football cocaine. It's an eight for me. Wow. I found this movie. I haven't. I haven't. I saw this movie when it came out. I literally haven't seen it in twenty years, and um, I thought it. I thought it was good enough. It was entertaining enough, so that makes it a seven point two, just behind Little Big League and Major League is a nine, and then uh, ahead of Mighty Ducks a seven, Draft Day a six. Interesting. There it is. It definitely beats All Draft right. Day. Let's let's keep the sports movie rewind train going here. If you guys are down for a little run on sports movies, yep. you guys good with that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Okay, so here here's a few that we have on the list here. We added a couple. Uh, we added one last week and then another one today. Vision Quest mm-hmm. at some point would be really fun to do. It's an 80s movie, Matthew Modine. It's about essentially a high school wrestler. Uh, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, who uh, was a once proud all-star Major League Baseball player who's relegated to going and playing in Japan mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, adapting to that culture. Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. And I'm going to put D2, Mighty Ducks 2, on this list because I think there's a lot of fodder there, especially for Judd, who's never seen it. If you guys would like to add any other ones or just pick one of those, what are your thoughts? Um, Given the time of year, I would like to do Mr. Baseball, which I've seen parts of, but not the whole thing. And um, Tom Selleck in that (laughs) era was a special actor. A very special actor. Yep. So, All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Mr. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Absolutely. Let's do Mr. It. Baseball for next Mr. Week. Baseball. Kind of in a, in a, it's not a top of mind. You don't think of it when you think of great sports movies or sports movies, but uh, definitely worth doing. Yourself. 149, I believe, boys. Yeah. I, I just looked Stabby. it up. Unlike last week when I okay. said, yeah, let's do. Tin Cup's 215, so I'm kind of glad we're. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, it says it's 215. No kidding. I saw that in the theater and I. And I'm surprised I liked it. More patience when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's a wrap on Sports Movie Rewind here today. Give us your suggestions. What other sports movies would you like to see us review sometime in the next few weeks? We'll, uh, we'll collect your thoughts. And, like, some, if it's a really good sports movie, it's hard. You know, Major League is kind of borderline. Like, we couldn't, it's actually really good we movie, couldn't do but. Miracle. Like, I think Miracle's too good. I think it's too good. Yeah, I agree. Who do you play for, Declan? I play for the United States of America. That's who yeah. I play for. In, in fact, a bruise, on, a bruise on the thigh is a long, long way, way for the heart. heart. Candy. In, fa- in fact, when I sat down to watch this film on, I believe it was Tuesday, Dawn said to me, that's all Oliver Stone film. That's too good. You, you guys can't do this film. I said, well, we're doing it. <laughs> and about 15 minutes in, I said, not only is it not too good, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it really is. Yep. All right. That's a wrap. Mackie and Judd, we'll see you guys on Monday. And I'm going to spend the whole weekend coming up with Timberwolves five-team trade ideas. Eight-team trades. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're going to do the same for him. That's a team, gentlemen. And either we heal... Now, as a team, or we will die as individuals, as football guys. That's all it is. Now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do?